good to be together to worship the Lord together. And not just worship the Lord, but to declare again to the Lord, we will wait for him in the midst of the struggles that we face, in the midst of the storms that come. We will wait for you. This morning, we're going to be continuing in a sermon series that started a couple of weeks ago, True Love, True Faith. Uh, considering what it means to love the Lord and to be faithful to Him in the midst of all that comes at us in this life. And today, as part of that, we're going to be talking about airplanes. Really? That's it? That was... Okay, you know, I did this with Chris in mind. Uh, Chris, the pilot, Chris. He wasn't able to be here today, though, so all my plans are, you know, gone. So someone's excited, hopefully. We're talking about airplanes. Um, actually, we're not just talking about airplanes. We're going to be spending time in the book of Acts, chapter 12. If you have a Bible, you know those things that are paper and you open and read them, or uh, on your phone... I'm actually also going to have the verses up here as well, but we're going to be in Acts chapter 12 looking at a really neat story about Peter's miraculous escape from prison. We're going to be talking about airplanes as well, though, so if you're excited about that, don't worry. Uh, before we get into it, I, I would just like to commit this time to the Lord in prayer. So would you bow with me? Lord God, who is alive and whose words bring life, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. And give us ears to listen what you want to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so what I'd like to do <clears throat> at the beginning here is play a little game of word association. <clears throat> if you're familiar with that, word association, that means I'm just going to put a word up on the screen, and I want you then to speak out or think, what is the first word that comes to mind when I put this other word up? Does that make sense? It's very wordy. I'm going to put a word up. What word comes to mind for you when you see it? Are you ready? And you can tell me. You can speak. All right, here we go. The word is turbulence. I say turbulence. You think what? Vomit. Nice. Someone else. What's that? Danger. Fear. Wind. Stable. Unstable, yes, unstable. Turbulence. When was the last time you felt that? I guess the question is, when was the last time did you fly anywhere? Because some of us haven't done that in a while. But, you know, we, we've all been there. We've been there before where um, Cafe Pacific, our flight, right? We're flying somewhere. 
where we sat down in our seat. Um, it's meal time. And so they've brought our meals and our meal is right there. And then sometimes, you know, when you want a, a refill on your drink, you're holding the drink up like this and the flight attendant comes to pour something in. And then all of a sudden, things just start to bounce. Have you ever experienced that? With kids, it's always fun too, right? Because the kids, it seems like when we would fly with our kids, it was always at the worst time that the turbulence came. The tur- you know, they're trying to hold things and you're trying to help them get their meal and keep things settled and whatever. And then the turbulence would come and it just knocks things all over the place, including drinks in your lap. So we know what turbulence is all about. From maybe a pilot or some of you in here who are smart about what is going on with turbulence, you know better. But for most of us as passengers, we don't know any better. All we know is that turbulence just comes whenever it comes. It just stays as long as it stays. We don't know when it's going to end. It comes at the worst times. Uh, It'll spill our drinks if we're not careful. Turbulence reminds us that we're completely out of control. We can't control anything when turbulence hits the plane. It can be scary, as some of you mentioned, fear. And as Josh so, so rightly said, it could even make us throw up. Turbulence is just a fact of life when it comes to flying. We know that's just what's part of flying. And yet I would suggest that turbulence is not just about flying. It's also a fact of life. It's also a part of life, our lives. Life at times can be very turbulent. We can get tossed and turned, thrown up out of our seat in the midst of life. Sometimes we're nice and comfy in life. We've settled into our seat. Our movie is playing on the screen in front of us. We got our meal. It looks good this time. Everything's just nice and comfy in life. And then all of a sudden, boom, out of nowhere, turbulence. Turbulence starts bouncing us up and down. We can't control it. We weren't expecting it. It's scary. Have you ever experienced that kind of turbulence in your life? I think especially as Christians, we see how turbulent life can be. We've been promised as much, actually, in the scriptures. Jesus says, if we follow closely to him, Jesus, whose life was totally characterized by turbulence, he says, if we follow him well, we should expect nothing less as Christians than turbulence in this life for us ourselves. So the question maybe should be not, how do we keep turbulence out of our lives? But rather, I think the question for us as Christians should be, how do we faithfully follow Jesus in the middle of the turbulence? How do we follow Jesus well when our lives are being bounced up and down, up and down and all around And that's really my prayer. I don't know how you pray. When I think about praying, how do I pray in life? I don't pray, God, please keep the turbulence away. Let me have a smooth journey on this plane. That's not my prayer. 
But rather my prayer is, Lord, teach me what it means to follow you well when the turbulence comes. I know it's coming. Things are gonna come. Lord, I wanna follow you well. Teach me to live out this truth, Lord, that following you, Jesus, is vastly more important than a comfortable, turbulent, free life. Show me what it means to live faithfully for you, Jesus, when life is hard. Now, I mentioned we're going to be in Acts chapter 12. Um, If we want to look at what living in the midst of a turbulent life looks like, the Bible's a great place to go to read about that, but especially the book of Acts. Acts is the story of the beginning of the church, the birth of the church. And so you have all these new believers who are just learning about what it means to follow Jesus in the midst of a society or in a world that did not take kindly to that. So we're going to start reading in Acts chapter 12, verse 1. If you have your Bible or whatever, you can grab that. It's also going to be right up here. Oh, that might not be able to be seen. Starting with Acts chapter 12, here verses 1 through 5. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this was met with approval among the Jews, Herod proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So here at the beginning of Acts chapter 12, we have King Herod. He's in charge in the land at that time. King Herod is persecuting the early church and the early believers. And so it says that he has James, one of the followers of Jesus. James is put in prison, and then James is killed. And Herod looks for the reaction, and and people seem to be liking that. And so he decides to do it again. And so this time he grabs Peter. He grabs Peter, and the idea is that he's probably going to put Peter to death too. And so at this point, things are not looking good for Peter. And he probably knows it. And so then in verse five, we read that the church, the believers around, they gathered together. And it says that they prayed earnestly to the Lord. Now, before we move on, I'd like to highlight a little bit about what Peter has done here. Not so much that he ended up in prison, but rather to think about the life that he was living which led him to this conclusion. It led him to prison. Peter wasn't living this kind of accidental, go-with-the-flow kind of lifestyle. He was living purposefully. He was living courageously, fearlessly, we might say, in the face of great turbulence. We have to understand that Peter and the others, they weren't surprised when they ended up in jail. This wasn't a shock to them. It wasn't an accident. Actually, they knew full well where this lifestyle of theirs was heading. They knew that what they were doing was not looked upon kindly by the authorities. 
If we go back a little bit, this is in Acts chapter 4, and then a verse also in 5. Acts 4, verses 18 through 20. It says, Then the religious leaders called them in again. These are the disciples. Called the disciples in again. And commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And then jumping down in Acts 5.41, it says the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They were rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Peter and the others, they are living a lifestyle that they know full well could end them up in prison and even in a grave. They knew the dangers that they faced. They knew that it was just a matter of time before this smooth journey that they were on was going to get bumped all over the place. The turbulence was going to come. Following hard after Jesus was a dangerous thing to do for them. And yet, how did they live? They did not cower. They didn't run away. They didn't say, let's go back to fishing. Remember, they were fishermen and not really good at it, but that was their job. That was their lifestyle. They didn't say, let's go back. No, th this whole following Jesus thing, it's, it's a little bit harder than we thought. This isn't what we signed up for. That's not what they said. That's not what they did. Their lives were marked by courage. They determined that they would press ahead no matter what happened. Are we going to listen to you, authorities, or are we going to listen to God? That's a rhetorical question. It wasn't even a question. Of course, they're going to listen to the Lord. They were committed to fearless living in the face of turbulence. Let's not lose sight of this. Turbulence comes. And my prayer is that we as well would be people who don't shy away from this truth. We don't shy away from the turbulence, but rather we embrace a greater promise. Jesus says, in this world, you will have what? Well, we could maybe say turbulence. He says trouble. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. Do you remember how that ends? Take heart. I have overcome the world, Jesus says. That is a promise for us to embrace. Jesus is with us. We can live fearlessly in the sake of his name, knowing that he is there. And yes, we will have trouble in this world, but take heart. He has overcome the world. How are you living right now? How am I living? Am I prioritizing a comfortable, turbulent-free, smooth, drama-free, secure, safe life? 
Is that what I prioritize? Or do I prioritize Jesus and living fully and faithfully for him, no matter what the consequences might be? Turbulence on the plane. It comes, a reflexive response. What do we do? Ah, grab the seat, right? Buckle up. Are we buckled? Yeah, grab the seat, grab everything. And then what? We start praying that it ends. Turbulence comes in life. What's your reflexive response? I think for many of us, it's, it's to defend ourselves. It's to run away. It's to say, please, no more of this. We run to the safe place. Often we will live scared. We retreat into ourselves and we flee to safety. What a different response though, if like Peter, instead of fleeing to safety, we fled to Jesus. And those aren't the same thing. I know that might be weird. Yes, Jesus is safe, but in a different kind of way. What if we fled to Jesus, run to Jesus, and in his strength, and with a fearlessness that can only come from the Holy Spirit, we confront the turbulence that comes head on. This is the message of Acts chapter 12, the life of Peter and the other apostles. Live fearlessly in the face of turbulence. We also learn what it means to pray expectantly when these circumstances come our way. Pray expectantly when the turbulence comes. Let's keep reading the story in Acts 12, starting with verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and your sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what, was, what he was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards and came to an iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance. And a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back in the house without opening it. And she exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Isn't this so good, by the way? <laughs> Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. 
And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. I love this section of scripture. Scripture, sometimes we think it's like, oh, I can't relate to it. I can totally relate to what's happening. I mean, not the part about being in prison, never been in prison. But yeah, so Peter, he's, he's in jail. He's sleeping. It's night. He gets woken up by an angel. The, he's totally startled. And then you know what it's like when you get woken up out of, out of sleep and you have no clue what's happening, right? So the, the angel says, do this. Put your clothes on, put your sandals on. Let's go. We're leaving. And Peter's just following, right? It says that they went past the guards. They went through gates that were miraculously opened. It wasn't until he got out on the street. He was out of prison completely. The angel leaves as soon as it came. And then it says, Peter, finally, it's like his eyes were open and now he could see, oh my gosh, this is really happening. And so it probably takes him a little time to figure out what to do. It says then that he went to Mary's house. Because remember what we read in verse five, when Peter was put in prison, the believers got together and they started praying. They were praying at Mary's house. And so Peter thought, I'm gonna go there. I am going to see what they're doing. And then I just love this. So he knocks at the door. Knocks, knocks, knocks. Rhoda, hello? It's me, Peter. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's Peter. And then, you know, doesn't open the door. Wait, open the door. No, just runs back in. Can you imagine the joy, the, the excitement? It's Peter. But then look at the response that, that she gets. It's not a response of, all right, it's Peter. The response is one of doubt. It can't be Peter. Peter's in prison, remember? We're here praying that he'll get out of prison. He can't be here. (laughs) It's silly, right? But then they finally decide to go with her. They actually open the door after Peter's continuing to stand and knock. And they open it. It says they were astonished. They were astonished that it was him right there. Now, I, I think we might knock them for their lack of faith. Like, why? Because it does seem funny. It's like, you're praying that he'll get let out of prison. Guess what? He's at your door. But the response is kind of, is it a lack of faith? What's going on here? I think we need to be careful, though, because I think we probably do the same thing a lot. Praying for things? I don't know. I, maybe it's just me. But sometimes I feel like I pray for things and yet I wonder deep down, do I actually believe that God's going to do anything? Do I actually believe that he's going to do something? Probably I would be just like these other people who are like, Peter's at the door. Yeah, right. He's not. He's in prison because I don't really believe what I'm praying. I think the context here is really important as well. We need to understand where these people, where the church was coming from. Remember, at the beginning of this chapter, we read that Herod did not start with Peter. He started with James. James was put in prison. What happened to James? 
it says that James was murdered. Now, we don't read it in this portion of scripture. It wasn't part of the narrative, but it's very likely that when James was put in prison, the church gathered together and prayed for him too. The church gathered together and likely prayed, and yet what they got with James was not somebody coming to the door saying, it's me, I was let out of prison. No, what they got was word from others that James had been killed. So they're now praying number two. They're praying for Peter. But the first time, it didn't go the way they wanted it to. I can appreciate their lack of faith. I can appreciate what they were feeling. Maybe they were just waiting to get a knock at the door that said, Peter is now dead as well. Because they had experienced the pain of praying for something and the answer not coming back the way they wanted. Have you ever experienced that? Where you prayed hard for someone or for something and you didn't get the answer you were expecting or hoping for? We went to China in 2005. In 2006, uh, this was our second year in China. Uh, in October of that year, I got, we got a call from my brother-in-law back in California saying that my mom was diagnosed with late-stage ovarian cancer, and the prognosis was not good. This is October of 2006. Then two months later, in December of 2006, we got a call saying that Amy's Amy's older sister was diagnosed with late-stage colon cancer. Prognosis was not good. For two, the, two months apart, uh, we just got hit as a family with these huge, major challenges. That was turbulence in a big way for us. And when we found out about this, there was people, I mean, we were obviously praying for them, but there were people all over the world who were praying for my mom, praying for Amy's sister. All kinds of people doing the hard work of prayer, praying earnestly like the church here, earnestly before the Lord, praying expectantly, persevering in prayer, on their knees kinds of prayer. It's a long story and we don't have time to go into it all right now. But the end result is that my mom and Amy's sister died of cancer. That was how that story ended. And I really, it took me a long time as part of that process to make sense of, of this, to make sense of the suffering and to make sense of what prayers mean in the midst of suffering. I had to go back to the scriptures and I found myself just embracing again what I was reading in the Bible. What I read in the Bible is people who have come to the Lord over and over again and they, they present their requests to the Lord. 
They cast their cares upon the Lord and God listens. God hears. And there's a response. I see this over and over again happening. People are encouraged to do this. This is the story of the scriptures. Speak your request to the Lord. Pray to the Lord. Pray to the Lord, God. And then I would see God working. Prayer changing things. It's, it's a cliche, right? We've heard that prayer changes things. But prayer is doing something. It is working. The witness of Scripture is that people pray and God moves. That is true. And yet at the same time, it's also true that Peter was rescued from prison and James was killed. And both had been prayed for. That is also true. Why is it that some people are healed from their diseases and some are not? When prayers for both go up before the Lord. I would say many of these questions we don't have answers to. And I would be very wary. I am very wary of the person who comes to me and tries to explain in a nice, neat, clear cut, clean way why my mom died of cancer. I don't know why God allowed that to happen. And neither does anyone else. But I do know, and this is what I had to go back to, I do know that God is good. Now, this is me. I know that God is good. I know that God is sovereign. I know that God loves me and is with me. I know that God is listening when I pray to him. I know that God wants me to come to him in my distress. And if I'm discouraged to the extent that I have no more prayers that I can pray, nothing else can come out of my mouth. God has given me the church. Because in those times, it's the church that gathers around, like in Mary's house, and they pray prayers of faith on my behalf because I have nothing left. The church in Acts 12 comes together. They might have been feeling discouraged. They might be discouraged because of what happened to James, and yet they come together, they gather together, they persevere in prayer, expectantly waiting for God to intervene. And the Lord did. I think this example is so important for us as followers of Jesus. When we face turbulence, when we face the storms that we sing about, when we face these difficult times, we're to be a people who pray expectantly. We pray seriously. We pray continuously, earnestly. We wait. We watch to see how God is going to move. And then hopefully we're not surprised when he does.
in the midst of turbulence, we live fearlessly, we pray expectantly. And then one more really quick. One more is that we always remember, in the end, God wins. Don't forget this. In the end, we have to think end now. Think in the end, God wins. I want to go back to Acts 12, and let's just finish off the story here really quick. It says this, In the morning there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. So remember, this, this chapter begins, Peter is facing the threat of death. And indeed, by the end, there was an execution. It just wasn't Peter's. It was the guards, right? Because Herod says, what happened to Peter? There's a big commotion. They look for him. They can't find him. And in the end, it says that Herod says, there is going to be a death. It ends up being the guards who are killed because of what happened. But there's even more to the story. In verse 20, it says this, Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Wow. What an ending to the story. Go back. I just want to put a couple of these verses up. This is how it all started. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. This is the plan. Verse 24, Herod was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. What a striking contrast. Herod's plan is to persecute the church. He doesn't like the church. He doesn't like Christians, followers of this guy named Jesus. He wants to destroy them. But that plan will never, ever work. It didn't work then. It won't work now. Because the word of God will always continue to spread and flourish. Because God's plans, not Herod's, not anyone else's, are the ones that really matter. It doesn't matter who is in power. Back then... Right now, it doesn't matter who is in power or for how long. It doesn't matter what laws are put into place to, res to restrict the meeting of the church. There may be persecution, imprisonment, and sometimes even death, yes. 
But in the end, God's grace, God's love, God's glory will win the day. Not turbulence, not death, not sickness, not struggle, not persecution, not imprisonment. Those things will come and they will hurt. But they will not win. The word of God continued to spread and flourish. And Herod, the one who tried to stop it, was eaten by worms and died. When the turbulence comes, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how despairing it might be, we got to take this truth to heart. We must remember in the end, God wins because remembering how it's going to end in the future changes everything for the way we live in the present. Remembering, acknowledging, knowing what's going to happen in the future, it should change everything for the way that we're living in the present. These are the lessons from Acts 12. We want to live well, live faithfully for Jesus in the midst of turbulence. How do we do this? Like Peter, we don't cower, but we live fearlessly for the sake of the Lord. Like the church meeting at Mary's house, in the midst of turbulence, we, we persevere in prayer. We pray expectantly, even when our faith might be weak. And in the midst of it all, we always remember, we hold fast to this truth that in the end, God wins. My prayer for us is that we would really embrace these truths deep down. As we navigate the turbulence that comes in our own lives. We're just going to take a moment to be silent before the Lord, and I would encourage you to reflect. Let the Lord continue to speak about what it means to live faithfully for Jesus. Jesus.